Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Face Walkers. Thank you for joining us on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, and conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Sandra Chuma. She's an inspirational speaker, podcast host, and award-winning documentary filmmaker who believes that our greatest responsibility in this world is to share the stories that create possibility for others. She's the founder of Indini, a platform to inspire, educate, and entertain, and to encourage all women to believe in who they are and what they're truly capable of. She's also the founder of Women on Fire Summit, which is a high energy event that is all about inspiration, transformation, connection, and entertainment. Please welcome to the show, Sandra. I feel like I should cheer for myself after that intro. Yes. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. How are you, beautiful lady? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm really great. I truly am really great. And I'm great now that I'm talking to you because you know I've been <laughs> I've been messaging you about how excited I was to talk to you. <laughs> I am so honored to have you on the show. I remember the very first time I met you in person was at um, uh, Stefan, who he was visiting here in Toronto. So for those of you who are in the, I'm going to say personal development world, uh, Stefan speaks. He's a relationship coach and empowerment coach from Atlanta, but he was here in Toronto. And we were sitting up at the front and you turned around and said to me, I love your podcast. And no, you have to say it how I said it. Because I was like, literally, I was sitting there for, I can't, were, were you sitting behind me or in front? I don't remember who was sitting yeah, in front was, of you. Were in but front I remember yeah. like you walked in and I remember thinking, oh, that's McKinney. And then and then I'm thinking, <laughs> do hilarious. I say something to her? Do I not say something to her? And then you know when it's like just the urge just kind of takes over. And then I was like, mm-hmm. Hi. I really like your podcast. <laughs> and I think I even put on that voice like, hi. <laughs> oh, you made my entire night that day. And we had the opportunity. We bumped into each other at a conference after that, the Archangels Summit. We had lunch. Like, and after that, I was like, I love this woman. I don't know like where she came from into my life, but I definitely attracted her and I'm keeping her. <laughs> I'm a keeper. Oh, I'm so happy to hear <laughs> yes. that. This you is long term, this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've been voluntold. You are now a permanent <laughs> fixture in my life. No, and the feeling was mutual. Like, literally, you know, like after I had my little, like, fangirl moment, because you never know, you know, you, you know people, you quote unquote, know people from social media, but you never mm-hmm. know when you actually meet someone in real life how they're going to be, how they're going to respond. You were just so warm and so sweet. And I was like, oh, I like her podcast even more now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. So I love to start the show with an icebreaker question. 
And because I believe that as women, we have so many different titles that we go by, so many different uh, hats that we wear. I believe that a title that is not given enough significance is our name because our names have meaning. So I would love to know, Sandra, do you know what your name means? You know what? It, it, some, it's a derivative of Alexandra. Apparently, I did look it up and it means something about being powerful and warrior. But I hate to say it, but I don't think my mom was thinking <laughs> super profoundly about it. I think she just really liked Sandra. My middle name, though, which very few people know, so this is like probably breaking news for a lot of people. <laughs> my middle name is, it's in my mother tongue. I'm, I'm from Zimbabwe. And so in, in Zimbabwe, there are three main languages, English, um, Shona and Debele. So I speak Shona, which is my mother tongue. And my middle name is Ropa Fazo, which means blessing. And that's the mm. name that my dad gave me because he said that's what I was to them. And mm -hmm. that's what I would be to the world. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I do love that. And you, like you said, you, you Googled your name. And when I had Googled Sandra, because obviously different versions of the name or, you know, different countries or origins, but I had also looked at the biblical meaning and the definition was defender of man or she is brave. So oh. whether it be your first name or your middle name, all of your names declare greatness. And every time someone says your name, they're declaring that to you and who you are. See, I, now you've got me all flummoxed. I'm like, oh, <laughs> all right. So I am all that. I am all, yeah. all that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm <clap> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I clap with myself. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> So tell us, because I like to start forward before we go backwards. So share with us, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? <laughs> okay, I wanted to be an airline stewardess. Okay. And the reason was because really important was um, growing up, I was like, obviously I'm a kid, I can't wear heels and I couldn't wear makeup. But every time we ever went to an airport and then the stewardesses walked through, you know how they all walk through in their uniform, mm -hmm. they're all like perfectly put together. That was my dream. I was like, oh my gosh, like they have makeup and heels. That was like, <laughs> as much as like, makeup and heels. So I wanted to be an airline stewardess. But I will tell you that even to this day, I have a secret, secret desire to one day do, you know, the, the safety announcement one mm -hmm. day. Yeah. It's never too, it late, practice, never too late. But. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So wait, what inspired you to get into film? Oh my gosh. That's such a long story. The film thing was actually uh, as a result of what my husband calls my midlife crisis. So I actually graduated with a degree in accounting and marketing and ended up going into the consulting world. So for a really long time, most of my working career, I was a management consultant, worked for Fortune 500 companies, consulted with big name companies. And then eventually my husband and I started our own consulting company in about what, 2006, 2007. That was what I did for the longest time. And then in 2009, when the last big crash happened, mm -hmm. we were one of the companies that was 
impacted a lot by that crash. A lot of our clients were in the oil and gas business. A, a lot of our clients were oil and gas. And so it went from overnight having this company that was like a seven-figure company that was just doing so much to literally on the brink of bankruptcy. And it was in that because, and I guess maybe to even step back further from that, I'm a girl who was born in Zimbabwe and I was born to a poor family. Growing up, I literally grew up in a mud hut with no running water, no electricity. And so growing up, there were so many sacrifices that had to be made for me to get an education, to go to the school that I went to. Like I literally just grew up seeing my parents sacrifice so much so that because they both believed so much in education and they knew that the key to me having a different life than the life that they had was for me to have an education for me and my brother to have an education and so that was always like really reinforced in us that you know you've got to work hard got to go to school get good grades and and the sacrifices that went into sending us to school and you know for me as well growing up like I still to this day not you know a lot of people know poverty from aid organization adverts and things I have cousins who live where they don't have running water and electricity so it's it's not that far removed from me Mm -hmm. so to live this life where I was a management consulting literally traveling the globe I was leading big teams I was you know leading big projects like multi multi multi-million dollar projects And then we literally lost everything. And in that moment, it felt like that was the end. Like I remember this particular moment where I was literally on my bathroom floor because we built this life that I could only have imagined. I could only have dreamed of where I lived in a nice house, had a nice car, went on vacation, Mm -hmm. and then everything's gone. And so much of who I was I think was had been defined by virtue of the stuff, right? You know, that was success. So when it was all gone, then I was really almost in a way left naked. And it I, I know it sounds like then the heavens opened and the angels sang and God said to me, <laughs> <laughs> but it really felt like in that moment I was literally on the bathroom floor. And I remember with such clarity, almost like a voice saying to me. This is an opportunity for you to do what you are meant to do. Mm. This is an opportunity. For you. And that's how I ended up, long, longer story, but um, ended up going to journalism school, ended up going to, you know, learn documentary filmmaking, and then kind of starting a new chapter in my life. So you're like the true definition of the breakdown before the breakthrough. Oh, and here's the thing. I'm, I am the mess is your message. Like that is yes. me. Because I think, like I say, so much of my, what I thought my worth was, was based on material things. If that moment hadn't happened, I would probably still be doing whatever I was doing before. I would still, you know, I'd be making great money and all of that kind of stuff. But I felt empty. And I think that's why when I I felt like I heard this voice. It was almost like an answer to a question that I'd had for so long because I'd actually been saying to my husband for 
the longest time that I, you know, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not. And he'd say to me, well, what, what do you want to do? Like, what makes you happy? But because my mindset was very much, I got to keep this engine going that keeps us in the nice house and the nice car and the blah, blah, blah. Because if I don't have that, mm-hmm. then I'm not really worth anything. I wasn't open to hearing anything that didn't keep me in that life. And so that was really kind of the first time that I actually thought about what is it that lights me on fire? What what is my purpose beyond just you know money and material things? So mm-hmm. yes, that needed to happen. We wouldn't be having this conversation if that moment hadn't happened. Wow. You know, I mean, so many of the women who come on and share their story, it's again, like the true definition of your pain birthing your purpose. And I'm listening to your story. And obviously, we have resonated from the time that we met. So we just click. But just even hearing those parts of your story make me resonate with you even more. Not because we experience the same thing, but I can almost relate if that makes sense. It makes so for example, (laughs) makes total sense. Yes. Good. When you were talking about growing up in in poverty, I mean, I was born in Canada, so my perspective of poverty may be very different from yours growing up in poverty in Zimbabwe, for sure. But then when you when you you talked about not having running water and stuff like that, and people who grew up here, even in government housing, would assume that those things we have here in Canada, and I, I don't even think I've ever told this publicly, but growing up when my mom she worked multiple jobs to move us out of government housing and bought her first home and was doing her best to carry the bills and it just wasn't working and i remember there was a period in my life where there was no running water it was literally borrowing water from the neighbors tap their hose in the backyard so that we could fill pots and boil the water on the stove to have warm water to bathe like People have different, I'm going to say, versions of poverty, but just even hearing your upbringing and to see where you are today and to see who you are today and such a positive beacon of light. There's a quote that I believe it's Zig Ziglar, maybe, um, where he says, uh, it doesn't matter where you start, it's where you finish. Mm. Just listening to how you grew up and where you are today, like the things that you had to go through, but just the difference in life. But in between, you still have such this beautiful perspective. Like, you know, before recording this podcast, we were talking about our perspective of even the pandemic. Just you have such a positive, grateful outlook that it is just beautiful to hear, even when you're sharing you know, the upbringing of growing up in poverty. You know what? This is one of the things that I've learned and which is why I so believe in the power of story. Because like you said, yes, what that poverty looked like or whatever a person's struggle story is, we can all see ourselves somehow in that Mm -hmm. story. And so that's why I think there's such power in podcasts like yours and platforms that share stories because a lot of the time, you know, you you go through stuff and and sometimes as well, there's a lot of shame associated Mm -hmm. with our stories that, oh, I I don't want to tell people that like we were so poor that we had to go borrow water from the neighbor. Like you Mm -hmm. don't tell those stories because or sometimes it's just not, it's not like, you know, you can just go up to someone, hey, guess what? You know, we used to get it. <laughs> right. 
right. <laughs> but, but I think that us sharing these stories or hearing these stories and then being able to look at, wow, this person was able to overcome. It's like y- you were on my podcast and mm-hmm. when you were telling me your story and the things that you've been through, it literally brought tears to my eyes because even though Aww. I've never been through that, but we can we resonate with the mm-hmm. struggle and then seeing the triumph at the end. So yeah, absolutely, like our stories are universal. They are. And I would love to actually have you share more with us about your podcast, because like you said, I was on your podcast and I love everything that you do with it. I love the messaging that you have, your whole movement behind it. So I guess I would like for you to share for the listeners the original intention behind your podcast, because we were both very much about sharing stories, but also what that journey has been like for you since starting your podcast? So to the story of me being on my bathroom floor and saying, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> my life is over. I started to think, and again, you know, like I said, it, it had been several years that I'd been saying to my husband, I'm not happy, I'm not happy. And he'd say to me, oh, do what makes you happy. But I think there was that level of fear, like I said, of, of letting go of what was comfortable and what I knew. But once I had kind of like, I'd lost everything. There was nothing, you know, there was nothing to lose anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, It opened me up to the possibility of, okay, how can I use myself and the gifts that I have and who I am to fulfill my purpose? What is my purpose? And so I didn't set out to set up a platform or anything like that. In fact, I um, don't tell them this, but <laughs> I I went to Columbia University and I must have been the only person in Columbia Journalism School who didn't grow up wanting to be at Columbia Journalism School. I didn't even know what Columbia wow. Journalism School was. And it just happened that my husband was at a time where he was um, thinking about, you know, maybe he wanted to do a PhD, like maybe he wanted to do something else. And so we'd gone to a, like one of these career fairs, like a university university fair type thing and so he was kind of you know walking around like checking out all the programs and I was just like there for the ride and we got to literally walked in there were so many universities but the way we walked in the first kind of booth that you came to was Columbia University Columbia Journalism School and uh, there was a super nice gentleman a gentleman of color so I was like oh my gosh in this sea of like people who don't look like me there's someone of color so I literally (laughs) just struck up a conversation with him just to while up time it literally was just to while up time an hour and a half later, I'm still standing there and we're talking. And he says to me, you know, I'm the admissions director at Columbia. I really think you should apply. And so then we have a conversation about what should you, like, how do you apply? Like, who do they normally take? And I was so far off what their typical profile is because you needed to have been in journalism. You needed to have all, you know, one accolades. Like, it's very hard to get into the school. But he said to me, you know, there's something about you that just says, you need to apply. So I know you don't fit the typical criteria, but just apply anyway and um, see what happens with the admissions committee. So yeah, it was like, okay, sure, whatever. I fill in my application. And I mean, obviously I'm shortening it, but I got accepted. I got accepted not mm. just to the journalism school, but I got accepted into a concentration where literally the year that I was there, they only take 14 students. And so I got into that. And part of why I was there 
was why I'd applied for that concentration. Again, not really knowing anything about anything, was I'd looked at the um their profile of the instructors, of their the professors. And there was one black woman who was on faculty. And I thought, oh, whatever she teaches, I want to be in her class. <laughs> so that was literally <laughs> the criteria. I used. <laughs> and so I'd applied ended up that it was this specialized program that she was the head of and got admitted. And then on my very first day, I get there and they say, oh, her name is June Cross. They say, oh, June. Yeah, June's not here this year. She's taken a sabbatical because she's producing a documentary. So uh, no, there's this other person. And I was, I have to admit, I was a little bit disappointed because she was not June. She was definitely not of color. (laughs) But I'm like, okay, I'm here anyway. So I go to meet her. We end up having this amazing discussion. I end up learning that this woman is like so accomplished, like in her office, she had like literally rows of Emmys, like Emmys. She she used her Emmy. This is how ridiculous this was. She had so many Emmys that she used them as hat stands. So she hang all her hats on all these (laughs) Emmys. And uh, we have a conversation and she's been telling me about all this stuff that she's done, incredibly accomplished. Then she told me something which was the idea, which gave me the idea for Ndini. She said, oh, you know, um, you know, several years ago, I was involved with this platform that I kind of sort of helped create, which is called Makers. And we profiled inspiring women. And in that moment, it literally felt like that's what I want to do. But I specifically want to profile women of color because we so rarely hear positive stories from women Mm -hmm. of color. Like there's not enough coverage of our stories. So that was really where the idea came from. And then also just, you know, like I said, I'm from Zimbabwe and for us as Africans, you read other than aid organization videos, most people, and that's what most people associate being an African woman is the emaciated woman, emaciated baby, fly on its mouth. Oh, there's an African woman. Mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, there's so much to us as African women. There's so many incredibly accomplished women who are of African descent or women who are of color. I want to create something where I can share those stories. So that was really the birth of Ndini. And I called it Ndini because in my mother tongue, Ndini means I am. I believe so strongly in the power we have to create our life with our words. And so I believe whatever you say after I am shapes your destiny. And so that's why I picked that name, which is yeah. I love that. I love that. You spoke to the perception of Africa, you know, with the fly on the child's mouth and all of that stuff. I remember telling a story just yesterday where I wish growing up I had known sooner how beautiful Africa really is. Because as a child, all I saw on the TV, on the commercials, were, you know, the commercials of the starving child with the big belly and the fly pitching on him. And me thinking, okay, well, that's what Africa is. And maybe three, four years ago, when I had the opportunity to do a book signing in South Africa, Cape Town, and I I didn't even want to Google any images beforehand because I didn't want to scare myself. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I get there and I thought, oh my God, this is the most beautiful place on earth. Why do we not see images of this, of Africa? Why 
you know, was this not the image that was presented to us? And obviously, I'm sure if I had known that sooner, I probably would not be living here in Canada today. But it's just like the perception that is given to us of things sometimes. It's not what we should accept. We should dig deeper. And and this is one of the things that I realized that it's some, and that's why, you know, I think like, again, back to what I said about the importance of story is that it's when we start to tell our stories that people get the opportunity to be given a different view. I don't mm-hmm. fault the people who, you know, live in the Western world who have no concept of what Africa is beyond, you know, what they've been presented and, you know, whatever media they've seen, because they don't know any different. And I think for the most part, people just accept as fact, whatever they see right. on news or the internet and whatever, they don't know that, oh, it is different. And so I think that's where in part, in many ways, I feel like, it's part of my responsibility with what I have and the, you know, the power that I have to be able to show a different perspective. Like I cannot tell you how many times in my career I've showed up for meetings. And and if you think about like the, the career I was in, it was very white male dominated industry. I would often be the only woman and most definitely the only person of color at many of the meetings that I was in. And then when I walk in and I'm the one leading the meeting, like many times I would walk in and it would be assumed that I was there. Oh, you must be the secretary to take notes. And I'm like, no, I'm the one Mm. who's running this meeting. And it's it's just because they you've never seen it. If you've never seen it, if you've never heard about it, you don't know any different. So I think that's where, you know, the power of story, you know, the power of people hearing story and hearing it repeatedly for them to have the opportunity to to see a different view. So how do you stay motivated with that? Like I often talk about on the podcast being the only in a room. Either I'm the only woman of color in the room or the only person of color in the room. So there's always either the misconception of why you're there or it's like a heightened interest saying, well, well, you must be special because you're the only one here. Like, what do you do? Like, what, you know, why are you here? And I've literally been asked when I was at one of the training sessions, because I'm a consultant for Bob Proctor, and we were in a training with 130 other consultants. And I believe there may have been three or four people of color. And I literally had someone say to me, like, so how did you get here? And I thought to myself, well, I paid the same $20,000 you did, but... uh <laughs> So, same way you got here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, I guess my question is like, how do you stay motivated having experiences like that, especially in the industry that you're in? And I know, I guess, if someone goes to your Instagram, they can see photos of you with like Gabby Berenstein and Lisa Nichols and Michelle Obama and Ty Hunter, and and they're like, oh, well, what, what, like, what does she do? So. With having experiences like that, how do you, I guess, not get jaded? And how do you stay this bright beacon of light that you are? It wasn't always this way. Because like like you say, there, there were so many, especially in my early years of my career, because there was also a lot of assumption that, oh, you must be here because there's some affirmative action, something mm-hmm. that brought you in this room. You couldn't possibly have just got here on your own merit. 
Um, and so that was challenging for me. And I actually had a long period of time where I particularly tried to hide the fact that I was from Africa because, again, I didn't want to have the, oh, you speak such good English. Like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. How, where did you learn English? Like, because mm, we speak English where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> Those kinds of things. Used to, so I would hide where I was from. And because I'd been educated in a British colony, like my accent, I, I didn't have, I guess, what they expected an, an accent to be. So there was so many things where I was ashamed of where I'd come from. And it wasn't until I had a conversation with somebody who said to me, it was one of the, I don't think he even realized how profound it was. We're having a conversation about, you know, he he was impressed by me. He wanted to hire me. And he said, um, and I brought up the fact that, oh, but, you know, like, what about all this? Other stuff? And he said, in my eyes, that is what makes you special. The fact that you walk in this room and you bring a different perspective. The mm-hmm. fact that where you're from means that you have a level of discipline, you have overcome, which means that I know the level of expertise that you bring to, to this. I know that everywhere you walk in, you have to constantly prove yourself. And that was the beginning for me of realizing that what made me different was actually my superpower. Right. Um, but it was also a couple of other things. Growing up, my father always said to me, he said, Sandra, to she who much is given, much is required. Much is required. And so I've mm-hmm. always felt that sense of, for lack of a better way to put it, responsibility. That, you know, I, through grace of God, through hard work, through, you know, many sacrifices on on the part of my parents and many other people and my husband, I've ended up where I am. And my job to quote unquote, is really to bring people with me to pay Mm -hmm. that forward. Because I can't just be happy that yay, I'm here. What am I doing to help uplift others? What am I doing to help give others an opportunity? The other thing, too, that really motivates me is I have a lot of nieces and nephews. My husband is one of six children, and all of his siblings have a lot of children. And so I have many (laughs) nieces and nephews. And for me, it was, what am I telling them about who they are? What am I showing them, you know, that they can be proud of? And so that's a lot of where my enthusiasm for life where my positivity comes from is I recognize that where I am and where I've got to and where I have opportunity to go is incredibly privileged. Mm, That is beautiful. You know, you mentioned, I, I believe it was the guy that wanted to hire you about your difference, knowing that your, your difference is why he wants you there. And that made me think of a quote I heard Julie Black say, we were at an event and we were talking about this very same thing. And she said to the room, your disability is your ability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So I always look for ways on how to take advantage of the fact that I am different when I am in a room. That is so true. And also for me, I take advantage of the fact that I am I'm given an opportunity to show people who've never been exposed to, you know, a powerful mm. black articulate black woman from Africa 
that I get to show them a different view, a different perspective, maybe to change their minds a little bit about, right. oh, that that's what it looks like, you know. So I, I recognize that it's it's um I love that. it is sometimes a burden because yes, sometimes you you're called on to always explain yourself and explain where you're from <laughs> and all of that. But at the same time, I, I choose to see it as an, an opportunity. So what inspires you the most about what you do? story. You know what? When I started down this path, I really thought, oh, you know, I'm going to be sharing these stories and other people will be inspired. But what has really, truly been, has truly filled my heart has been hearing, having people share their stories. Like, it is, mm-hmm. there is nothing, even when I, I remember when I sat with you, I'm literally sitting there tearing up because having, just having somebody gift you with sharing who they are and showing you a piece of themselves, it's, it's truly a, something that I don't take lightly and something that I recognize is, is a privilege. I have to say, I agree with you a thousand percent. I remember starting this podcast and my intention for it in the beginning was that, you know, we were going to be doing coaching on the show and all kinds of stuff. And God had his own plan for the show and it evolved into what it is today. And I, I've said this many times on the show before, selfishly, these interviews are for me. I am so inspired by you guys. (laughs) Just hearing your stories keeps me going. Hearing your stories gives me hope. Hearing your stories makes me feel like I'm not alone. Hearing your stories shows me the pattern of resilience. Like there's just so much power in sharing stories. I couldn't agree more with you. I really couldn't. Like it it, it truly is such (laughs) power. Yeah. So what advice would you give to a woman who is, I guess, afraid to share her story? Oh, you know, I, I, there is no shame in sharing your story. I think that, like I said, there's such power when we share our stories, because regardless of how unique you think your story is, regardless of how different you think you are, there is someone or something that you will say that will resonate with someone, that will inspire someone. We absolutely, we have a responsibility to share our stories. Hmm. I love that. I remember when I wrote my first book, sharing my story, and I should have been excited for my book launch, but I was terrified, and my anxiety literally shut my body down the night before the book launch because I was like, "Oh my God, what have I done?" I had like a vulnerability hangover, and after the book came out and people were reading it, less than I'm gonna say less than a week, I started getting hit with a flood of emails and messages and all kinds of social media posts of women saying that they felt like I was sharing their story. They felt like I had taken a peek into their life and was writing the book about them. And that that touched my heart on so many different levels. I feel like I'm going to get emotional just <laughs> thinking about it now, but the importance of our stories and not feeling ashamed to share our story because we are not alone. And the reason why we feel like we're alone is because we haven't shared. So we're not attracting other people that can help social proof and make us feel like we're not alone. Uh, There's Dr. Brene Brown has this quote, which says shame loves secrecy. And I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of us, especially if we didn't have beautiful beginnings, we're ashamed of our story. We're ashamed of sharing that openly because we feel like we're going to be judged when in actuality, many of us have the same stories. And once we're open about it and we share, it's like 
attracting a community of other women who can relate. You know, I, I, I went to a conference uh, recently where they did this exercise that they called Stand Up For Your Sister. And you filled out this kind of questions about things that you'd been through in your life, you know, different questions about, you know, have you ever been, um, you know, in an abusive relationship? Have you ever been sexually assaulted? Have you ever, all, like all these different questions. And then you kind of they kind of moved the pieces so you wrote your piece folded it up and then it moved around the room like everybody moved their piece so you couldn't identify whose was Mm -hmm. whose and then they would read um the prompt to say you know who has ever been in a physically abusive relationship and so you would stand up for your sister you know stand up whatever the piece of paper that you had if the person had written that they were I was floored Lord, by the number of people who had been through so much. And yet when you look around the room, it'd be one of those rooms where you're like, oh my gosh, these people all have it together and they live amazing mm-hmm. lives. And, you know, and so that's why I say, you know, there's such power in our stories because we always feel like I'm the only one who's ever been through this. or this has only ever happened to me. And it's only when we start to crack ourselves open and allow ourselves to be vulnerable and share our stories that we realize that we're in this together, Together. you know? Yeah, absolutely. So what's one thing that most people don't know about Sandra? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh my gosh. That's a hard one. This is a goofy one. And I was, I was literally thinking about it today because with everything that's going on, I was like, I'm, I had kind of gone way off the deep end when it came to my eating and my exercise. So um, ended up ordering an exercise bike and exercising on a bike like spin class is my absolutely favorite thing, like form of exercise, bar none. I love going to spin classes, (laughs) but I don't actually know how to ride a bike in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I don't know how to ride a bike. You know what? When I was little... I fell off. I I didn't have my own bike. So we'd gone to visit a cousin and he had a bike. And so he'd let me get on his bike. And then I fell and broke my arm. And so I guess I associated a bike with broken arm. And then, you know, so I never, ever got back on a bike. So I'm like the only grown up person who doesn't know how to ride a bike. (laughs) Oh, listen, when outside opens back up. We we are going bike riding, okay? <laughs> You're no, going to learn to ride bikes. Because my husband was like, this is ridiculous. How can you not know how to ride a bike? So he went and he bought me a bike and then he tried to teach me. And I was just like petrified. <laughs> so we're so going to work up. on your paradigm of riding a bike. We're going to start there. So while we're in quarantine, I'm going to help you get over that fear of riding a bike and change the mindset that you have about it. And then when we're allowed back outside, we are going bike riding. I should have just told you something like, oh, I don't like avocados or something. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) And again, this whole thing about resonating with people's stories. So as much as I do know how to ride a bike, yes, I do. I didn't learn until later age because we couldn't afford for me to have a bike. So I didn't have Mm -hmm. my own bike. And when I got a little bit older, I learned to ride a bike on one of the neighbor's bikes I believe they taught me in like the parking lot in government housing and that's where I learned to ride a bike I didn't actually have my own bike until after I had all three kids oh wow 
Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So there's always hope. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but so, yeah, that is like a breaking news. I think other than my husband and my daughter, no, there's no one in the world who knows that I don't know how to ride a bike. <laughs> Until now. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So your husband has tried to teach you how to ride a bike, and I'm sure that he is probably one of your most consistent coaches, but have you had any other coaches or mentors that have helped you along the way in life? You know, my biggest coach and mentor is, has been my husband because much as you say that I am, you know, positive, upbeat, he is the most optimistic, positive person I've ever Aww, met. Um, and, and truly, like even in our darkest moments, like when we literally lost him, he was like very much, oh, we'll figure this out and this will be fine. <laughs> It'll be great. And I was like, put your ass down, fool. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that he has been, and he reminds me so much. There's so much of him that reminds me of my dad. And for me as well, it was like, so my dad was also like, so many life lessons and my mom my parents both taught me such different life lessons so I reached out my husband and then my parents but more than them not that well not that there's a, a scale but the other people who were the biggest coaches in my life and the biggest influences even though maybe they didn't realize it were my grandmothers both of my grandmothers both of them were women who, through their life circumstances, never went to school. So neither one of them knew how to read or write. Um, my mother's mother worked as a housemaid um, for a white family. Our country was kind of in apartheid when, when I was young. And so she worked for a white family in a white neighborhood for all of her working life. And my father's mother, um, my father's dad died before my dad was born. And so she had to raise my dad on her own without an education. And yet those two women were the very first who ever said to me that I could dream a big dream. They were the, both of them said to me that they had this dream where they'd say to me, And bear in mind, neither of them ever got on an airplane. Neither of them ever probably saw an airplane in real life. But they both would say to me, one day you're going to get on an airplane and you're going to go like overseas. And I'm a kid. I'm like, I don't know where (laughs) this country overseas is, but I'm going to go there. And um, and for them, the dream was you're going to live in a big house, like with trees in the neighborhood. And that was the big dream. But that was almost like the seed that got planted in terms of possibility that, oh, you know, wow, I I, I could I have, have something other than right this, you know, and yet they, I, I can't even imagine how they imagined it because it was so far from what their reality was. But yeah, they mm. would probably, I would say my, my biggest coach is my earliest inspiration. I have complete goosebumps for so many different reasons because they, like you said, planted that seed and spoke life into you. And I guess them, it's almost like, well, it's pretty much is. It's like affirmations, right? If you feed your subconscious information, it can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not. So you'll actually start to believe it. So them planting that seed into your life and having you believe that you're going to go overseas and have this different life and look where you are today. (laughs) <laughs> she's making me tear up now <laughs> it's literally because I I think 
I think about because they both passed away before they could ever really see me kind of become, you know, anything of significance. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't even imagine what they would make of my life. You know, they're it's, watching it's, you and they're yeah. so proud. I have yeah. complete goosebumps right now. Wow. Oh. Ooh, okay. Um, so I guess with everything that you do, and I know that usually when you're a woman and you're a leader and you are being a beacon of light, it doesn't always come naturally. So it requires some stuff behind the scenes. So what does your self-care routine look like? How do you take care of Sandra? Self-care was something that for the longest time I had no sense of. Like at one point in my life, I had like a literally collapse from adrenal fatigue because I was just go, go, go all the time. Um, And then I realized that I needed, I really needed to change that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for me now, self-care has really become about how I start my day. And with me, it's I wake up early um, just because I, I really I love when the house is quiet and it's all dark outside and I spend time just in, you know, nowadays everyone says meditation and it's like, but just being quiet, being still meditating, being still trying to listen as opposed to letting my mind chatter. And Mm -hmm. that's been like the greatest gift that I've, I've given myself is starting my day intentional, giving myself that time at the beginning of the day before I allow the craziness of the world in and just centering myself. Um, That I'd say is probably the biggest and most consistent gift that I give myself um, in terms of self-care. I love that. I love that. I can totally relate to that. I believe it's probably been since we've been in quarantine where I started to do the same, where I intentionally get up now and there's, I won't go straight to social media. I don't check any emails. I make a cup of coffee and I sit in silence and just be still for a bit. And then once I've had my fill of that, then I'll listen to a positive podcast or something to get my day going, to keep me on that higher vibration. Because like you said, there's so much noise and chaos happening, not only in our heads, but in the world. Um, So starting your day off and having a good morning routine is very, very important. And that's a, that's a really powerful thing that you say about cho- intentionally choosing your vibration, choosing where you keep yourself. Because like you say, it's so easy. You know what? At the beginning of, of the pandemic, I I guess like with everybody else, was just shell-shocked by it all. Mm-hmm. And so the first few days, I literally was like, I, I may as well have been working for CNN because <laughs> I was like, okay, what's the numbers today? And what's like, how many people died today? And how many, what's the infection rate? And like, and it was just like craziness in my head. And I realized that I was just constantly feeling anxiety. And so I made a conscious decision that, you know, I'm not someone who can self-regulate as easily as my husband because he can like turn stuff on. So I was like, I'm just not going to watch news. I'm not going to listen to news. I am not the Surgeon General of Canada. So I do not need to know the numbers and where they sit right now. All I need to know is I need to be a good citizen. I need to stay indoors. I need to wash my hands often. And that's as much as I need to know. The numbers are not for me to know. They're just creating anxiety. So I think, you know, what you said is so important that 
we allow ourselves to get sucked into negativity and then mm-hmm. we wonder why we feel terrible. So it's really, I'm so careful now about what do I choose to allow in? You know, what do I choose to consume in terms Absolutely. of social media, in terms of who do I follow, in terms of what podcast I listen to, um, what TV do I watch? Um, but yes, it's, it's, it's a choice because ultimately Absolutely. you have power over your choices. When the pandemic first started and everything and everyone constantly kept talking about COVID-19 and the coronavirus, and I'd stopped watching the news since 2012 when my sister passed away because sitting there in ICU with the TV on CP24 watching news 24 hours a day for three weeks did not help me. And I decided I'm never watching the news ever again, but I, I wasn't watching the news, but I was still hearing it every single where I looked or went. And it was like creating this viral anxiety and creating a spiritual chaos with everyone. And everyone was feeling so off. And I started listening to a lot more, I'm going to say, podcasts that have like doctors and things like that on there so I could understand things on a deeper level. And there was a doctor or psychologist that was talking about watching the news for more than three minutes can impact you from having a bad day by almost 30%. And, and I, <laughs> I agree with that 100 And you know what? I'm, I went to journalism school. So I do understand how the journalism business works. And that is, there's a saying in, in journalism that if it bleeds, it leads. Because mm. the more sensational, the more, yep. you know, like it's not going to, keep you watching if CNN's like, and look at this lady who's doing great things today. But mm-hmm. it was, oh my gosh, and then these many people died. And then this, then, you know, that's what, that's what sells. Yeah. And so that's what I recognized is that, you know what, I, I, I need to choose what I consume. Good for you. Good for you. I like to ask this complete random question to every woman that comes on the show. And so far it's been on point. So don't disappoint. <laughs> No pressure. No pressure. pressure. (laughs) (laughs) But I came across this Reader's Digest article that says your favorite type of shoe says a lot about your personality. So, Sandra, is your favorite type of shoe like a high heel boot, a running shoe, a walking shoe, a flip flop, a stiletto, a pump, a mule, I don't know, a work boot? What's your favorite type of shoe? I'm going to be a disappointment and I'm going (laughs) to say it depends. (laughs) Okay. It depends because like I I love shoes. Like I literally am ridiculous. But I'm not someone I'm not a designer shoe person. Like mm-hmm. I I'm not that kind of I'm not a red bottom kind of girl or whatever. I just love different shoes. So I think for me, it would be something comfortable. It would be something that slip on, easy to put on, take off would be my go to soon. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, I mean, that that could be anything from like a sneaker or a running shoe or a flip-flop or flats. W- what would you say? It would be flats. Flats fans are behind the scenes leaders. If you're someone who always turns to flats, we know that you work your butt off behind the scenes to ensure there's always a perfectly finished product. And the best part is you're so humble that you don't require any attention or recognition for your efforts. The flatware is focused, very modest, and generous. They're often the woman doing all of the work in the world. They're the ones behind the scenes making the engine run. 
Huh. Okay. Does that sound like you? Because that sounds like you to me. me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm the one who's like running like crazy behind the scenes, and then I'll come out, and then I put the heels on for like two minutes to come out, just like hey everybody. But then I'm like back in my flats behind the scenes. (laughs) Totally, totally get it. See. Okay, so before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online. I would love to. I love, actually, I love when people contact me. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, personally, my Instagram is sandra.chuma. So S-A-N-D-R-A dot C-H-U-M-A. Um, that's my website as well is sandrachuma.com. And then for Ndini, which is my podcast platform, you can find that at ndini.com, um, N-D-I-N-I. And on social media, we're Ndini Media. So N D I N I and then media. So I will definitely have the link so they can connect with you directly in the details section. So they don't have to search too far. Thank you. You're welcome. So the final segment, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And I just ask a couple of reflection questions and you share the first thing that comes to mind. Name one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made. And that could be money, time, energy. Learning. Mm. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? Time management. And actually time blocking has probably been mm. the biggest thing that, that's helped me. Like focus, and my husband has this expression, focus, finish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family. Distractions. I used to feel like, oh, someone asked me to do something. I had to do it. So being okay with saying no and recognizing that no is a complete sentence. Right. Absolutely. What do you wish women would do more of? Believe in themselves more. Believe in their abilities. Believe in their potential. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? It would say you are infinite possibility. Anything you can imagine, you can do. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Sandra. Like, honestly, your energy is like, it's so warm. It's so welcoming. And like I said, you're stuck with me for life. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. Like truly thank you for the opportunity to share my story. And thank you for your courage in creating this platform to let other women share their stories and for us to inspire each other. Thank you. Thank you. You're so awesome. And to all of you faith walkers out there until next time, subscribe on all platforms, rate the show, leave a review on Apple podcasts, join the community of faith walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at a And don't forget to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you can think of one person that would receive value from Sandra's testimony, share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and tag us on Instagram. Sandra is at Sandra.chuma and I am at the real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.